The Light Breakfast with Asha and Nan, brought to you by Maybank. Today in our Monday Motivated Session, we're talking to an exceptional teacher and program director at Pemimpin GSL, Samuel Isaiah. Samuel, let's go back to when you were a kiddiwink at school. Uh, <laughs> who were the teachers that inspired you and why? I got to go a bit way back. Uh, so the teachers that inspired me, I think if I remember his name correctly, was Tigger Rosely, right? So Tigger Rosely was this very hard taskmaster in primary school. The no-nonsense, you got to get things done. But I think what he instilled in me is discipline and focus on what I wanted to do. And uh, throughout the years, I think I've had very different uh teacher mentors that I've had that have impacted my life. And I think uh, not only academically and how I did in school, but also about building character and building my personality. Uh, one such individual was uh, someone that I met later uh, in my education years was when I was in uh, teacher training institute. So this individual, her name is Dr. Maria. I think she inspired me to kind of like be critical of what I want, uh, to ask questions, to be bold, uh, and uh, to persevere when you want to do things right. So I think all all of these elements and all these values and principles, I think, came from my teachers in school. Okay. Um, Do you think you can pinpoint that moment that's uh, first set you on the path towards becoming a teacher? Pinpoint that moment that first, I think uh, not doing well uh, in uh, my science and math was probably one of it, but uh, (laughs) I did did, did kind of okay in school, I think with SPM and all that. I think I got A's for my biology, my math and all that. But, But I think... I just didn't find the passion for it. Uh, I, I, I think coming from an Asian minority family where, uh, you know, uh, the, the measure of success is usually engineering or medicine. Uh, but uh, I think at that point, I realized I liked something very different. So I opted to teach English um, uh, to apply for it and to go f- to this teacher's, uh, teacher's college and university. But I think my calling for wanting to be a teacher came very late. I think it was only when I was sent to this Orang Asli school in 2012 when I met the kids, when I when I dived into their livelihoods. That's when I saw that I was there for a purpose. Uh, so initially, it was just going through the paces, you know, doing my degree, uh, passing my exams, and that was basically just it. But when I met my kids, when I dived into the livelihoods of the community, that's when I saw that I was made for a different purpose altogether. And there was more to just teaching kids a subject or completing a curriculum. But, you know, when you were having to decide what you wanted to go and do, Mm. what was it about teaching that actually made you kind of go, oh, okay, I'll do that? Uh, without me realizing because because my dad was always active in the church right so that's that's the that's the environment that i grew up with you know helping people you know caring for people taking care of kids uh visiting the visiting the sick uh visiting the lonely trying to get things done for them i think so that act of service was some somehow instilled in me ever since i was really young so i think it was not a conscious decision that i made but it's something that i felt very comfortable in it felt like an environment that i was I was made to be in. And as, as we may know, you know, the, the, the teaching profession is probably not the most high-paying profession. Um, lots of kids, I think a lot of parents during the pandemic felt this as well when they, when they had to teach their kids, you know, and their kids are around 24-7. Uh, and a lot of teachers deal with a lot of kids at the same time. So, But I always saw that as something as in, inspiring. The kids inspire me. And doing this as an act of service, as an act from the heart, really kept me going. So I think... All in all, it was not a conscious decision that I made, but it's something that I felt very familiar with. So when I was placed in this school in 2012, I think then that's when it, it all clicked. 
Upon graduation, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were posted to a rural school, uh, and mm-hmm. you've touched on this already, where you taught all around right. students. Um, can you take us through some of the most creative or what you consider to be innovative teaching methods that you used? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of my methods were, were not born of me. It was born from the kids. It came from the kids itself. I think that is one of the uh, key principles uh, that, that I actually focused on uh, while teaching in the community. So I made it a point to ensure inclusiveness. Uh, I included my kid in the decision-making. I spoke to them frequently. I included the community in the, in, uh, in the decision-making. So I think in my opinion, it's not so much about how innovative the idea was. It's about how impactful it was and how it made learning and teaching uh, meaningful to the individuals that I was teaching. I could have brought like the most advanced technology ever, but if it, if it did not relate to my community, to the honestly community that I was teaching, it would have been pointless. Uh, but some of it, some of it uh, was actually to address uh, pertinent problems or issues that cloud the Orang Asli community uh, and Orang Asli students in general, be it, um, you know, uh, very high dropout rates, very low school attendance, um, school being or education being something that is not their first choice. Uh, and what I did was uh, including uh, something called Skola Poco or Tree School. That was one of the main things that I did. So uh, I incorporated Orang Asli culture. I incorporated learning with the environment into conventional mainstream learning. So that made them make sense of what they were doing from their perspectives, mainly because school as we see it is quite detached from their perspective of what they want from education and how they perceive learning to be. So those were some of the main things that I did besides, you know, um, teaching the kids through music, um, you know, using the ukulele, um, you know, connecting these kids to mentors, uh, adult mentors, uh, for example, uh, mainly because these kids, they, they did not see anything beyond the perspectives of the community itself. So I wanted to give them inspiration. So they spoke to adult individuals, professionals. And yeah, those are some of the things that I did. I will not say that it's very unorthodox or, uh, or, or highly innovative, but I think what I learned crucially was to always be reflective. And uh, year in, year out, I was always reflective with the children and with the community of the impact and the effects of what I was doing with them. And we we adapted how we were doing things uh, as, as the years passed. Yeah. I wonder if you could share one or two of your most memorable student success stories with us. One of the most memorable student success stories, I think, is probably not, not so much of a success, but how he overcome failure. I think this particular girl that I thought... Um, uh, she 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 joined school really late. Uh, she she came to school when she was eight, right? So she missed the first two years. No preschool, no year one. Uh, she came in when she was eight. She could not speak a word of English when I th- when I spoke to her normally at that point. But eventually, I think through sheer grit and through sheer perseverance, and on top of that, the desire to want to learn. Uh, she's currently in university, so that is something that I'm really really proud of. Uh, mm. and, and the process of how she made meaning of what she wanted to do is something that I, I really admire. And I learn from the kids all the time. I really, really learn from the kids all the time. And she showed me that, you know, it's never too late to want to do something. It's never too late to want to change a perspective. And it's never too late to believe in something. Uh, why I say believe is because for the community that I was teaching, to get them to understand that education is something important, education is something that you want to do was extremely hard. There was a psychological 
barrier if i can say right. uh, to try to get past mainly because the orang asli community is also clouded by stigma and negativity and you know very bad perceptions of their capabilities so mm-hmm. for her to believe in what she was doing to embrace it and to say that i want to do this because i want to do this was something that i will always remember that's fantastic Now you were among the top 10 finalists of the Global Teacher Prize in 2020. Getting to that point, what did that merit mean for you? Well, initially I didn't want to didn't want to apply non. I think I spoke to this to Asha sometime back <laughs> that I I really didn't want to apply for it because I I felt that whatever that I was doing was for the kids and for the children. Uh, and it was not about myself, it was not about my innovativeness, it was never. It's this I think I think some some may call it humility, but it's just like you know I just didn't want that spotlight. Mm. Um but as I spoke to my mentors and individuals that were around me they told me that applying for the global teacher prize would give me that voice it would give my children my orang asli children that voice not just locally not just in malaysia but internationally and it would give me that opportunity to share about how important education is for everyone how important education equality and and equity is for everyone so when i saw it from from that perspective i realized that if i don't do it i would be extremely selfish if i don't take up the challenge to actually apply to be able to share and talk about my kids like what we are doing right now uh, i would be extremely selfish so I probably waited to the last day of the <laughs> of the application period and I wrote my heart out. I think it was 13 essays if I can remember, 5 mm. to 700 words each, kind of like a mini thesis altogether wrote everything I sent it in without expecting anything. So it changed a lot of things for me. I think from a personal uh, standpoint it made me believe that uh you know teachers you are more than just an individual in the classroom that are teaching your kids you, you can do more than that you can impact others you can impact other individuals you can spread the good word about teaching about uh, you know changing different people's lives so i saw that possibility after uh, the global teacher prize being the top 10 finalist now you're a part of the non-profit penimpin that's launching the first ever malaysia teacher prize what prompted this initiative right so when we were, we were thinking about you know how do we elevate the teaching profession how do we bring back trust to the the current public education system and we can't run away from the idea that the quality of education and education system is actually highly dependent on the quality of teachers and if the perspective that the quality of teachers are extremely low then the trust towards the system itself you, you know goes 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 down the drain so when throughout my years of teaching i've seen a lot of teachers who go above and beyond what they have done uh, what they are supposed to do as a teacher their innovativeness their creativeness their passion their desire to want to bring forth change i've seen this and uh, with the global teacher prize like how we spoke earlier on how it gave me that opportunity it also gave me the opportunity to improve myself to become a better teacher a better educator so i wanted to give that experience to malaysian teachers as well to give them that opportunity to believe in themselves to give them the idea that whatever that they are doing with their kids every day in the classroom with the community with the teaching profession in general general means something it's not in vain you know uh, because a lot of the things that i was doing also before it did not give me any financial benefit if i can be very honest with you there was no benefit it was just for the sake of the kids so i think we wanted to bring that to elevate the teaching profession and bring back that trust towards the teaching profession and additionally i think most importantly it is how it impacts the kids we want to see the ideas from these teachers we want to see the interventions from the teachers and how we can scale their ideas throughout the country 
throughout the world because we oftentimes are so engrossed in ideas from the outside in but not from the inside out a lot of great ideas in malaysia are organic especially in the classroom things that mm-hmm. happen and work in the classroom beat orang asli beat underprivileged being urban school and we want to highlight those and see how we can impact more kids nationwide We have to ask as a very personal question your hopes for the nation's future in education whether it's for the students or the system as a whole even for educators like yourself what are your hopes Well I've got a few hopes so the first one is that every child in Malaysia no matter where they come from no matter you know their race their skin color their ethnicity whatever that is their their social economic background will have access to quality 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 education that's my hope for Malaysia because I think that that bridges so many gaps to what we we want to achieve not just as a society but as a nation. Uh, secondly, I would really love to see a lot of teachers in Malaysia upskill themselves. I think this is important. So my hopes for an education system in Malaysia it's it's that we focus more on upskilling on capacity building. And I think when teachers realize that there is no limit to wanting to learn, there's no limit in building your capacity, these kind of values not just improve themselves as an educator but also gets transcended to their students as well they believe in this kind of idea and last but not least i think for education in malaysia i hope that we we are be, we become more inclusive uh, more inclusive uh, the system communicates better with parents the system communicates better with different types of stakeholders uh, i think that was one of the best things that i heard i i've learned with my community is that when i involved them it was not about what samuel did for them it was about, about what samuel did with them and i think teaching and learning education in school is actually a very collaborative process and everybody has a role to play in all of this and everyone must be given the opportunity to do that so those are my three hopes for education in malaysia and of course hoping more teacher teachers apply for the malaysia teacher prize i think uh, the malaysia teacher prize in essence as much as it's focused on getting teachers you know awarding them and rewarding them i think it is also shows that how we trust teachers the winner gets 50000 ringgit and that is belief that is trust we're going to trust you with your ideals we're going to trust you as the experts for your students we're going to trust you that you know what's best for your students and lead the way uh, you know lead the way in education changes in malaysia because they are the ones sitting in the classroom dealing with 40 kids day in and day out trying their best for their kids let's give them the autonomy let's give them the trust to the malaysia teacher prize I love that. And yes, hats off and applause massively to every teacher out there. Mm-hmm. We know how hard you work and it never stops. Also, Samuel, thank you so much for talking to us today. You can listen to this Monday motivated session again with educator and 2020 Global Teacher Prize finalist Samuel Isaiah on the Light Breakfast podcast. That's on the Shock app.